Today's narrative completes the story of Jesus' appearance to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. So they experience the presence of the risen Christ. They hike back to Jerusalem. They meet with the eleven. And then, wouldn't you know it, Jesus appears again in their midst behind locked doors. He invites them to touch him, to see his scars left by the spikes on his wrists and ankles, even eats a piece of fish, all to prove he is not a spirit figure. He's not a phantom, but he is the same Jesus they knew and loved. And then as before, the two disciples, with the disciples on the Mass Road, Jesus conducts a wonderful Bible study in which he surveys Hebrew Scripture, the Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms, referring to that third category of writings, talking about all the passages that make reference to him, who, that bear witness to him in advance, especially about his suffering, his death, his resurrection. That must have been an eye-opening study. Now, have you figured out yet what specific event Luke narrates no other New Testament writer does? Any takers? It's the ascension. Luke writes in verse 50, Then Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them, and while he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up to heaven. Brief description. Now, although Luke is the only gospel writer, the only New Testament writer to narrate Jesus' ascension, all four gospels allude to it. The apostles Peter and Paul, in their writings as well as the writer to the letter of the Hebrews, all speak of Jesus' exaltation and ascension to God's right hand as a present reality. Now, when Pat just led us in reading the Apostles' Creed, did you notice what we confessed? Most of the verbs were in the past tense. We confess that Jesus was conceived, born, suffered, died, was buried, descended, rose again, ascended into heaven, all past tenses, and then finally we get a present tense. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The right hand, friends, is the place of supreme honor. So Jesus, who shares our human nature, has ascended to God, who has exalted the risen one to a place of high honor. Well, what are we to make of Jesus' ascension? Where does its significance lie? The most famous theologian of the 20th century is without question one of our own, the Swiss Reformed theologian Karl Barth. And Barth writes that the ascension presents pictorially, quote, that the might and sovereignty of God is in act and in fact identical with the might and sovereignty of Jesus Christ. He continues, Calvin hit the mark when in the ascension to the right hand of God, he did not find anything said about Jesus being in a definite place. So the ascension isn't so much about a place, friends, as, but about his having a definite function, namely that of the exercise of God's power, comparable with a diplomatic agent who, standing or sitting at the right hand of his king, directs the government in his name. What the figure states, according to Bard, is that the kingdom of God is an act and, in fact, the kingdom of the risen and descended Christ. Friends, this means that Christ's ascension and exaltation to God's right hand is not about Jesus' blissful rest in heaven, nice 
Well done, Jesus, 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 King, the Kingdom, King, King, Government, 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 who stand conscious of the A, they, 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 that bowed out, out as a place. Not God, he had righteous sin to the sin. He Christ, I see the sovereign to saw and fight the with the golden feet. Send Jesus of the Father, send road descended. Jesus being the apostles, the apostles, which is the true type. Ascendry thoughts, we gave this. Good word, did laugh after. No, but he was speaking then to Jews. Let, let the entire of Israel know with certainty that God has, has made both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, why do you think Luke wants us to know about the power of the risen Christ? Because that's what the ascensions. Jesus is in the place, place, place of supreme power. Why? So that we can be confident that Jesus will empower us to fulfill the mission he gives us. At the Bible study with his disciples in Jerusalem on Easter evening, each of them thus it is written, the Messiah is to suffer and to rise the dead on the third day, that repentance and forgiveness of sin is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, literally, literally the Greek is all ethne, that is every ethnic group, no one, one is, is out, everyone on the planet, planet is included. And it's begin from, from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, the risen Christ said, I am sending upon you what my father pro promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. In this context, Jesus told his disciples, you are witnesses of these things. So our mission is to bear witness to Christ concerning his humble incarnation his passionate ministry, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection and ascension, in order that we ourselves and in order that other people may repent, be forgiven their sin, and live as Jesus' faithful followers. Well, how does Jesus promise to equip us to fulfill that, to fulfill that global mission? With his ongoing presence in the form presence in the form of the Holy Holy Spirit. Will, will clothe us, Jesus, Jesus says, with power, power from on high. On, from on high. In context, that's Jesus' fourth of the Pentecost event, event with the Pentecost event, which will happen 50 days later, 50 days later in Jerusalem, which Luke details in his second volume, the Acts of the, of the Apostles. The Acts of the Apostles. The second volume, the Acts of the Apostles. Now, just as in a court of law, Bearing witness requires the from first-hand personal experience. So to bear witness to Jesus our with the risen one. And it also requires to be a witness that we simply tell the truth. So for us, bearing witness to Jesus means sharing what we believe about him and perhaps most importantly, how he has transformed our lives. In my own case, I was raised in a wonderful family with two Loving parents, uh, my two brothers, I was the middle of three sons, Jerry, four years older, Casey, 18 months younger, and our maternal grandfather, who we called Poppy, who was hugely influential in my life and in my brother's lives until he died when I was nine. 
Now, even though my parents had never been baptized or had ever joined a church, one wanted my two brothers and I to be exposed to the Christian faith. This was the early 1950s when church was something that everybody did. Very unlike today <laughs> when we're all oddballs being here. Do you know how odd you are in Sonoma or Marin County being here? You're odd, friends. Good odd. So they would drop us off or occasionally just get us up and get us into our Sunday best and then uh, shoo us off to walk the uh, three-quarters of a mile journey to First Presbyterian Church, Santa Cruz. That was simply the nearest church in the will of God. Thank you, Lord. Uh, and by, so as an elementary student then, we came now and then to church school, and by the end of elementary school, I had a pretty simple faith in Jesus. Um, and without any pressure from my parents, they said at the end of sixth grade, now Kent, you don't have to go again to church unless you want to. You've been exposed, you know, like you've been inoculated. Uh, you don't need to go again unless you want to. And I was always a very independent little thinker. And so I wanted to go. And, no, and, and Corey's here. Corey, you're awesome, buddy. Corey is wonderful. I'm sure our church school teachers for, for all ages are great. But when I was in high school, I thought Sunday school was just boring. So I wanted to go to adult church. I wanted to hear the sermon. So I started going every Sunday, and so the adults noticed and said, hey, Kent, you want to be the head usher at the 9 o'clock service? So I did. Uh, so that gave me an excuse, too, that I had to be there every week to recruit other ushers, take the offering, count the number of people, usher people in, clean up afterwards. You know the, the drill. Um, and in, in middle school, um, I got the opportunity to join the church, and without any pressure at all from my parents... They'd never joined a church. They'd never been baptized. I was baptized and confirmed as a member of the church. So that was middle school, so I got out of hand. Then, then high school became a head usher. And in high school, um, still lacking any real depth in my faith, I was really, it was really too much a secondhand faith, some God sent, <coughs> some Jehovah's Witnesses. My way weekly, they started visiting me, and, they, and I loved to debate, so they, they had a live one. This guy is... Uh, He's a prospect. Let's get him. And so they came to visit me every darn week. God bless them. And so to defend myself, I know so little about the Bible. I kept going every week with like my legal pad of questions to my pastor, Tom Carr. Tom, here's what Jehovah's Witnesses say. What do we say? And he finally said, after me bugging him every week for a long time, he finally said, Kent, here's what you need to do. You need to get a copy of the New Testament in modern English you feel comfortable reading and read it for yourself. And if you do, what? what? You'll get answers to lots of your questions. That was the best advice anybody ever gave me, honestly. He was right. And though I still have questions, I think I'll die with some questions, um, boy, I found lots of answers and my faith in Jesus was cemented by simply reading the New Testament. The truth of the gospel penetrated my life more deeply and that sort of generic truth became truth for me personally. And the unfailing love and encouragement of that congregation was a key factor that influenced me to pursue vocational ministry. Uh, it was a church about this size, First Presbyterian Church, but in Santa Cruz. And uh, one particular member of the church I want to talk to you about was a man named Harold Van Gorder. 
Harold lived to be 106 years old, the oldest person I've ever personally known. He was already old when I really became his friend in like uh, late high school, early college. Harold was a child of the Depression, and because of that, he couldn't afford to go to college. But he was a bright, articulate, self-taught person who read widely. He, became, he, was, a, he was a dry cleaner his whole adult life, and he found it incredibly boring. But he, he read widely. He was a person of deep faith. Um, he became a local historian that people you know, went to to get answers to stuff. He was a friend, a pen pal of John Steinbeck, the writer. They met at a high school track meet. John ran for Salinas High. Harold ran for Santa Cruz High. This is back probably in the teens of, of the early part of the 20th century. Anyway, three things about Harold that were important. Harold, from when I was a little boy, always called me by name. I wasn't part of the church, really. I was just this neighborhood kid that showed up now and then, and not even every Sunday. He always called me by name. Friends, that's so important. You want to be called by your name. And I don't care how young you are, you want to be called by your name. One of the greatest things we can do for children outreach is to learn the names of all the children and learn each other's names as well, of course. Second, Harold uh, knew I was interested in ministry and he took me to San Francisco Seminary for a seminary weekend seminar when I was just a freshman in college. But he already knew. He, he, he raised two sons. Both became Presbyterian pastors. He thought maybe God was directing me in that direction as well. But here's the most important thing. In about 1971 or two, a group of university students, oh, I, I grew up in Santa Cruz. I wanted to go to Stanford. Stanford didn't want me. So I slummed, stayed home, and went to UC Santa Cruz, which was in its formative years. I entered with the, the fifth class ever to enter that campus. And so a bunch of us, had a, we had a very vital university ministry at the church at that time, and a group of us asked the session for permission to do a student-led Sunday night folk celebration. Chris, it was early contemporary worship. This is like, this is almost 50 years ago. Almost 50. And the session, God bless them, gave us permission. Now, we didn't use the sanctuary, and we didn't mess with the sacraments. We met in this sort of like living room space, and there were all of maybe 30 to 50 people there. But we had drums, a big drum set, mine. I played them. We had guitars. We had a pianist. It was really ancient, you know, back in the Stone Age contemporary worship. Anyway, um, and guess who came every week to that? Harold and Vera. They're already an older couple. They're probably already octogenarians by then. And years later, I was just thinking about that and said, Harold, that was so great. That was so wonderful that you and Viral thought what we did at those Sunday night folk celebrations was really cool and that you wanted to be there. It was really neat that you thought that was great. And he said, you know, we actually didn't like it. <laughs> but... We wanted to support you young people. Friends, that is agape love. Not doing what pleases us, but what we think pleases God and meets others' needs. And so God bless Harold and Vero for doing that. So in my life, I've been blessed with lots of people. Lots of people. A lot of people from that church family. 
not unlike this loving and caring church family who bore witness to me in words and work. Now, who has God used in your life to point you to God in Christ? And how might God want to use you to bear witness to people young and old in our congregation and in our community? Friends, with Jesus' ascension, the church age begins. And during this interim period in which we find ourselves between Jesus' ascension and His triumphant return, we are commissioned, we are commissioned and empowered to be Christ's witness-bearing people. This is a time of great possibility as God gives us opportunity to participate in this life-changing mission God has given us. Amen.